0: And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching sometimes uncomfortable but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people the goal is to have you our listening family many of you who have become my good friends feel as though you are listening in on private conversations thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. After all, we promised we'd be cordial.
1: Welcome to Mental Health Perspectives with your host, Dr. John Hewer, and Kristen Sonata Walker. Dr. Hewer, again, chairman of Mental Health, Mainstream Mental Health. You know more about him by going to his website at mainstreammentalhealth.org. And we have this Kristen Sonata Walker, she is the CEO of the MHR network. you a know learn more about her by going to her website, mentalhealthnewsradio.com. Miss Walker, Dr. Huber, welcome to the show. This week, there's a ruling that came out that said, Third Court of Appeals, that the TSA screeners are, not, are immune to any kind of liability for excessively touching or you know, touching passengers. So now passengers who feel they've been sexually assaulted or have been overly patted down, they have no legal recourse right now. So I wanted to ask the both of you, is what is your perspective on that, and how does that impact the Me Too movement and other people who now, you know, even if they are flat out sexually assaulted, they have no longer they have no legal recourse. What does that mean for um, the state of our country? We'll start with you,
2: Dr. Uber. Well, I'm always worried about people who want us to create laws, uh, to, to essentially give up our rights in other arenas because of that, that S word, safety. Somehow we're safer. And I, I can talk to you about multiple, multiple people who have been offended at different points in their lives by people groping, molesting, uh, physically assaulting them in one way or another, and uh I, I think this is a bad idea to make them immune from any kind of, of charges for being really inappropriate. I mean, you know, I, I fly, Kristen, you fly, and, you know, sometimes you sit there and how come you know maybe the the cutest people in line are the ones who have to keep going back to that scanning machine? What's going on in that situation when there's you know they don't fit any of the the uh, statistical data on who's going to be assaulting people on on flights and things like that? And it's very disconcerting. And the minute you raise your voice, well they're pulling you over and it's time for the body cavity search, so you keep your mouth shut. And I think this just gives them more power to to assault and abuse the very people that they claim to be trying to help. I don't know, Kristen, what do you think?
3: I agree with all of that. The first thing I thought when I, when I read about this was, wow, that is giving TSA people a whole lot of power. And yes. what kind of job screening process are they going through to make sure that they are not hiring people that are gonna, that are purposely choosing that job so that they can assault people? Are they having mental health professionals there wa- watching everything to make sure that if someone who isn't being touched inappropriately but they have a past issue with this and so they feel that they are, um, are they going to have a mental health person standing there with them to help that person get through it? I mean, th- this just opens up so many, such an awful can of worms. It makes me not want to fly anymore, to be honest.
2: Yeah, and- Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you.
1: Let's see, what, how does that extensive pat-down affect a person who has post-traumatic stress disorder or has proves experience being sexually assaulted? How, what kind of impact can that have on the person? We'll start with you, Ms. Walker.
3: Well, it's re-triggering. Absolutely, um, the the stress beforehand that you know that this is going to happen. Um, it, 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 airports are already notoriously stressful and knowing that you have to go through that, the, the line to wait to get to it, and then, you know, it sends someone into a panic, they're immediately, uh, Dr. Huber, correct me, but isn't that the limbic system or what system is that where right. it's you're, you're, you're immediately in fight or flight? That, yeah. you know, leads to irrational behavior to the public, but not certainly for that person that's um, been traumatized in the past.
2: You know, it, it just – it's so I, – I think back to to a few years ago at the university where they had us go through these special classes so that we didn't use a trigger word to set off one of the students and cause them to, to feel assaulted. And, you know, and this was coming from, you know, courts and stuff like that. And then they turn around and, and, and basically give – TSA authority to assault you, and they're not worried about the triggers, it, it, it's, it's asinine, and it just shows you how government can intrude on our lives, and again, under the guise of, we have to protect you, uh, turn around and do everything but protect you.
1: Well, this comes back to the whole Me Too movement. People are saying, okay, well, you know, this is great, we're standing up, we're not, we're you know, going to find any kind of behavior like this disgusting we're going to stand together but now it seems like okay well even if it happens then there's no legal recourse so now how does that theoretically speaking impact the um, the movement let's well, with you miss walker
3: it just completely demolishes it and it makes me think you know i'm not a big conspiracy theorist person but it makes me think wow you know we've made so much progress is this Somebody or some group of people trying to find any way to squelch what we finally are being taken seriously about. So um, you know that that's what it what it says to me. It makes me wonder about, and it's just awful. There's no way that this isn't horrific.
2: Exactly, I think that's the key term right there. It's horrific. I don't want my daughter going through TSA. I don't want my um, son going yeah. through TSA, you know, and let alone my wife. And, you know, it, it, and my wife stands up for herself and lets people have it. Sometimes they're a detriment. And, uh, you know, we we just flew to New York and, you know, she had a bag of M&Ms and they had to go through every single thing because the bag of M&Ms, you know, and then they turn around two days later and give a national, oh, you know, make sure if you have M and M's that you put do different things with them because for some reason now it's, people's M and M's are hitting on the on the scanners and it's like, what in the world, you know, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I will say this: I've never, I've never felt uncomfortable, and I travel a lot. I've never had any. They've been very, very respectful. Every TSA agent. And I flew a lot last year. Never did I have anyone. It was always a woman that that touched me, and she told me each time. So I haven't ever witnessed anything happen like that, that to anyone that in line with me. And I've never had it feel uncomfortable for me. And I'm someone who's been sexually assaulted. So I, I was I wasn't even triggered. But but so what makes me think? Why on earth is this even? Why was this even enacted? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense
2: whatsoever. Right. Well, Absolutely none. If
1: it's not bad enough, you have to deal with the TSA. Another part of traveling is traffic. Being from New York, I, I'd say I spent well, at least you know, one-eighth of my life stuck in traffic. I know Dr. Uber's head his battles, and I don't know about you, Miss Walker. So let's talk about the psychology behind being stuck in traffic. What are the, let's say, short- and long-term psychological detriments of being stuck in traffic? We'll start with you, Dr. Huber, who's experienced it on a firsthand basis quite recently, actually.
2: Yes, <laughs> quite uh, this recently morning. this morning, as a matter of fact, yes. I need my chocolate milk. Anyway, <laughs> the, the the short term, you know, you get very frustrated. You know, most of us have professional obligations, and we expect traffic to flow at a certain rate. And, you know, you plan accordingly. And, you know, one or two – I mean, this morning I literally passed five different accidents. And mm-hmm. it was – You know, I'm in the toll lane. I've got concrete barriers on both sides of me. I can't even change lanes to try and maybe somehow get through the situation even faster. And we're standing still in the toll lane. And it it is very overwhelming, it's sense of a loss of control. And, you know, the only real control we have is how we react to what's going on around us Mm -hmm. in our environment. And... I'm sitting there, you know. I, I've got I've got interviews coming up, and I'm I'm stuck, <laughs> and there is no control. It's just I have to deal with what 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 played out in front of me, and it's frustrating. You know, you try to start calling people and saying, "Hey, you know, can we move this? Can we do that?" And uh, it, it is what it is, and that in initial thing can be extremely stress provoking. Uh, Long-term-wise, you know, you have that traditional type A personality thing start coming out. If you're always being manipulated and twisted by traffic, uh, you know, and and you work on a time schedule. Uh, to me, you know, roads are to get me from point A to point B, and I'm on the road because I have a place to be, not because I enjoy sitting behind all the other cars and inhaling the exhaust. So, but that long term stress increases your rates for strokes, for heart attacks, uh, and actually stress related predisposition for things like cancer and other chronic illnesses are also present in that situation. It's just not a healthy thing to do. So, you know, thank goodness we, we've gotten some relief around the country from some amazing engineering and, and apps that actually will start saying, hey, you know, you can actually exit here and go through this area and do this and go by this small that you weren't planning on going by, but the traffic's actually flowing and you're gonna have a lot less stress. So let's do that. And we tend to do that until you're stuck with concrete barriers on either side of you and you can't do anything.
4: See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Well, and we also have these amazing
3: podcasts that you can listen to while you're stuck in traffic by just going to mhnrnetwork.com. And, you know, (laughs) that will help you get through Get through traffic. <laughs> um, I, I grew up in Orange County, California, and uh, Los Angeles, so I definitely know traffic. I learned how to drive a stick shift at 16 or 17, I don't remember which, but, you know, in Huntington <laughs> Beach, California. So I, you know, I definitely um learned how to drive. And I live out in the country. And anytime I go to a city where I'm going to be driving, like uh, I was back in Southern California, or I go to Atlanta often, I definitely feel myself gearing up for aggressive driving. Uh, I'm not an unsafe driver, but if you want to change lanes in Atlanta – uh, you don't necessarily put your blinker on five minutes ahead in order to be polite like you do in the country. You turn that sucker on three seconds before you just zip into the other lane. Otherwise, everyone is going to speed up and you're just stuck forever. So. It, it definitely puts an extra edge to me that I feel um, I feel it profoundly because I live in an area where there's no traffic, and I do that on purpose. Um, it's very stressful. It's bad for your health, like you said, Dr. Huber. The you know breathing in all all the exhaust from the other cars and uh, the stress of being late, and I've got to call people to tell them, but I don't want to use my phone while I'm driving. I mean, there's just so many things that are added to your stress so that before you even walk into where you're going to go, you've got, you know, to kind of de-stress yourself. So when I'm in places like that, I prepare ahead of time with books on tape, podcasts I want to listen to, music. I do my five, six breaths. So. Breathe in through your nose to the count of five, hold it to the count of six, release it to the count of six. I mean, I do all those things because I know that I'm, you know, I'm going to be flipping stressed out and, uh, and that I already, you know, I take blood pressure medication. So I'm prone to high blood pressure and it's really, really making my medication work overtime, which isn't healthy for, for my health
1: basketball
2: it's not <laughs> and, and i don't recommend taking your out of van while you're driving do the deep breathing exercise
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> when i'm in stuck in traffic i always notice something happening it's because all these cars there they're all going and they stop because there's some kind of accident on the side of the road or because some police officer pulls over someone Why do people feel the need to stop, to look, and to slow down the traffic? I don't understand. Quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care unless there's some kind of Michael Bay explosion going on. Then I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll give it some time and attention. But I don't care. I'm like, what, I haven't seen this before? I mean, but everyone seems the need to stop, to look over. And I feel that's the cause of most traffic. So I want to ask you both. Why do people feel the need to stop, to look over, to see something that they've seen 100 times before? You know, Accident. Somebody got pulled over by a police officer. Ooh, I've never seen this before. Why does that happen? Why? Because I feel like that pushes traffic. And that starts a lot of traffic accidents. I'll start with you, Doctor. Sure. Curiosity about
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, curious. I mean, why do we turn on the news? Yeah, why do we turn on the news and watch it at dinner time when we know it's gonna, you know, make your stomach hurt? I mean, people are curious, just curious. Looky loos they want to see. I think some people are slowing down. I definitely slow down, and at least try to get. You know, we are supposed to move into the other lane if at all possible, so that they get a wide berth. So uh but i don't i don't look i feel like just like i don't look this is a little little odd of a switch here but i don't purposely go to other people's facebook pages to to see what's going on with them i only take a look at what's going on in my own feed well same thing with driving it's not my business what happened if the police are there if no one's there and someone needs help sure and i in a in a place to do it absolutely but um, if, if the police are handling it and, and things are going on, I, I don't want to add to the looky loos um, and, and make it difficult. And I do have to say this: something about the state of North Carolina. I, I, and I've lived all over the United States. They don't believe in merging. When they get on an on ramp, everybody oh, stops, no. and that's just insanity. And they and they also. Stop the worst of any state I've ever been in to look at traffic accidents. So please, North Carolinians, merge into the traffic. Don't stop when you're entering a highway, and stop looking at accidents. Just keep on going on your way. That's my two cents. <laughs> right,
1: and the final topic of today is today
2: is Friday the
1: thirteenth. <laughs> oh, it's
2: so scary. Oh, oh, so, I mean, oh so nice. Let's talk about why. And that might I'm, be it. I. I I personally slow down to see if it's my mother-in-law getting pulled over. That's all I know. <laughs> see if she's listening to my podcast or not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you going to be poisoned later during dinner? Yeah. <laughs>
1: But the last <laughs> discussion, coming back to it, is today's Friday the 13th. A lot of people get scared. Like, oh, my God, it's Friday the 13th, and they're worried, and it's a horrible day. So why are people scared of Friday the 13th, aside from the fact that, you know, it, it's based on the Oscar-winning film series, Friday the 13th, about a gentleman in a hockey mask, who seems to have some issues with teenagers? And we'll start with you, Dr. Uber. Why are people scared of Friday the 13th?
2: Well, a lot of people are afraid of Friday the Thirteenth, and it's kind of the mythology behind it. When actually, the number thirteen was originally a good luck number, and people, you know, were were excited about it. But then we started getting into to more modern, puritanical, religious belief systems and they started oh that's a pagan ritual so if you're doing that it must be something that's fearful and you have to be concerned with it and so we actually shifted it from being a very positive moment and the the numbers are all lining up for us to have a great experience to change it around so it's a negative experience and that mythology has kind of spread itself into our storytelling. We just talked about the, the movie, Friday the 13th, um, and that has just exacerbated, and you get anybody with just a modicum of superstition, and all of a sudden, bam, it's all over the place. And, you know, I work in two hospitals, and the nurses are always like, oh, I don't want to work on on Friday the 13th. But when you look at the actual empirical research, Friday the 13th has no more traumatic events than any other Friday, statistically speaking. The problem is we have this ability to self-affirm. It's much like getting on an airplane. Every time you get on an airplane, you think, oh my goodness, what if something happens? You, you think that for one moment, you skip over it and you get on the plane and have a great flight. But that one time you hit an You know, a a wind shear or something, The plane drops 10, 15 feet and your laptop hits the the roof of the the plane, the inside (laughs) of the plane. You go, see, I had that bad feeling. I knew it was going to happen. But you negate the 200 other times where nothing happened and you had that same feeling. So we make something out of nothing because that emotionality and because of the mythology around that. And it's very self-affirming because everybody has those feelings. Everybody thinks, oh my goodness, it's Friday the 13th. And you know, we, we've had in the last two weeks, we've had some really bad traffic days here in Austin and I've been lucky enough to catch it and be able to go, be going somewhere where I can jump on the loop around town, not have to drive through Austin. But this morning I was not in that situation. I had to, I had to trudge on through and, and fight my way through the traffic, but you know it just happened to be Friday, and it happened to be Friday, the thirteenth. It doesn't really mean that statistically uh, there there was anything different.
3: say hey, that's why I love empirical data finders like you, Dr. Huber, because I just don't i I don't get into that kind of stuff. My family is riddled with fear based. OCD, perfectionism, be afraid of everything, you know, and I, I purposely don't have worked backwards, you know, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want to be that person, and I just try to tell myself, and I would say this to other people, you know, try to make it a positive. I turned Friday the 13th into I always have fantastic, phenomenal days on Friday the 13th. And then somewhere down, you know, in the future when I have a crappy day, which, you know, hello, Mm -hmm. it's called being human. You're going to have a crappy day every so often. Then I go, oh, that was my makeup for Friday the 13th being so awesome. Because there's so many other things that real – you know things that happen that are stressful. We don't need to add um, hysteria right. over a date to it. Now, now I want to ask you this, Doctor Huber. Full moon days, they do see more things in hospitals, correct?
2: No, actually, the data doesn't support that either. What tends to happen yeah. is warmer temperatures. Warmer temperatures increase activity, so people tend to uh get into trouble more in warm climates and warm seasons than in cold seasons um that that's the big thing so basically we can, can there's actually a significant correlation to ice cream consumption and violent crime and it has to do with actual temperature what? and how that
3: really? increases
2: sales of ice cream yes
3: That is Are you serious? This is serious. Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> oh, my God, it's hilarious. That's, wow. Oh <laughs> so I like well, eye cream in
1: the winter. I should imagine listening to this show. I mean, you, um, <laughs> every day you learn something
3: new. <laughs> exactly. I am good. Just knowing you, Dr. Huber, I'm going to, like, win on Jeopardy at some point. I mean, really, the <laughs> you're a factoid machine.
2: Well, my family doesn't play um, Trivial Pursuit with me anymore. Let's just say that.
3: <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> so, and
2: then
1: on that note, that concludes today's edition of Mental Health Perspectives with Dr. John Huber. Again, learn more about him by going to his website at mainstreammentalhealth.org and Ms. Kristen Zidana Walker. Learn more about her by going to her website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. Ms. Walker, Dr. Huber, thank you so much for being with us today, and we will see you back here next week
0: Be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it, but our opposing. Good boy.